Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke Betzner. I'll be your host, and my guest today is Dr. Brian Nixon. And if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, you already know that Squawk stands for Student Questions at Calvary College. If you hadn't listened to any, welcome aboard. And what we do here is we give the background to the question. Dr. Nixon does that, and then we go at it. We answer the question to the best of our ability. There's no prep for this. And so it keeps it fresh for us and for you, our listener. So the first thing we do, I have a list of 12 questions that have been selected at random from the various questions that students have supplied to us. And you're going to hear the die roll. It's a, I should have looked it up. I didn't look it up since last week. That's more, that's on me, but I think it's a decadohedron. And let me just say, Luke, it's a, it's a handsome die. I mean, you know, people can't see it, but it's purplish in color. Yes. It's got uh, up to what 12, 12 numbers. Exactly. And um and it, it's fun to see where it lands. And I just want to underscore that we really don't prep for these. I mean, <laughs> we you literally get the questions, we roll the die. This is kind of an old testament practice <laughs> of rolling the die and then seeing where things go. So it's really we've been having a fun time. At least I've been having a fun time. Yes. The urum and the thummum. I yeah, guess, yeah, right? that's that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. So let's do it and then we'll grab a question and off we go. All right. Came up. What Qu- do you see question there? three. Question three, three, which interestingly enough is, you know, obviously a uh, has full symbolic uh, oh, yes. uh, connotations, but we won't get into that because I'm sure the question's not about the symbolic, you know, nature of number three. Well, it's actually pretty close. Not about the number three, but it says, is Genesis a literal account of creation? Mm, great. Why or why not? Question. And as normal, Luke, I always preface this, that we're going to start off big, provide different theories, and then we'll get down to you know, our particular take or opinion. And Absolutely. normally you and I've just been landing on the same plot of ground. We we've yet to disagree, you know, on, on any of these, um, these topics, but it's a great question. And it's a question that, as you know, Luke is quite pertinent to mm-hmm. the world today. Yes. I mean, science for all intents and purposes has been, you know, has become the new, you know, religion in, in some sense, you know, well, this is what science says. This is what, you know, science tells us to do. And a lot of people like to juxtaposition science versus faith or science versus religion. I just have to say before you go further, I love that word. Juxtaposition is one of my favorites. It's glad to hear you. We may, we may just use it a few (laughs) times just because it's fun. And here's the other thing, you know, our listeners, they're going, what are those guys drinking? And uh, because every now you'll you'll hear Luke and I take a sip. Well, Luke is drinking water, good old H two O. I am drinking the drink of the angels, which is tea. Oh, tea. ambrosia. Yeah, yeah tea. <laughs> Where everyone knows tea is far superior than coffee, but that is another conversation altogether. Well, to put that question on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a deep biblical question. But back to our topic, you know. So a lot of people like to position. You know, science versus faith. And here's the reality. Within Christianity, they are not in conflict. There's apparent conflicts. There's there's at times where you go, huh, one's saying something that the other one's not saying. But they can be reconciled. They could, you know, there's, there could be a strong dialogue. And when we step back and think that God wrote two books, 
Mm-hmm. It really puts things in perspective. And he wrote the book of nature first. And if I can add a nuance there, yes. just for our listeners, for you, our listeners, um, science is in and of itself a method. I think mm-hmm. you would agree. Yep. And even though we often use the word science, I want to just sort of pare that down and say, when we're talking about science, we're not necessarily talking about the scientific method, even though science is supposed to be based on that. We're talking about the body of information mm-hmm. that has been allegedly derived by the use of the scientific method. Mm-hmm. And I would say the Bible is not in any way opposed to the method that we know as science, the study of the natural world. But there are some things that have been asserted that, that definitely that, disagree with the Bible, yeah. but they may or may not be valid scientifically. Yeah. And in, in our modern context, science, the general worldview of science, not, not as you rightfully point out, not the scientific method or developing hypothesis and trying to solve those and the experimental methods and so on and so forth, but the worldview yes. ha- has, you know, has a lot of baggage with it. You know, it, it, it become a very materialistic way of looking at the world. And it and a I'll lot of times dis, discounts the spiritual world. And I'll stop interrupting so you can actually give the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what I was saying, yeah, the background is generally speaking, the cr- Christianity is not against science at all. As a matter of fact, it, as I was saying that, you know, God wrote two books. He wrote the book of nature first. We get that in Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. That word for created is bara. He took something from nothing. It was a unique act, specifically something that God did. Took something from nothing and made nature. And of course, inherent in that are all the natural laws, all the, you know, the physical laws, the biological laws, everything within that. So he, he took and created, fashioned this world in its you know, grand, amazing, mm. multi-layered complexity that it is, God, God handled that. So, you, you know, science is one aspect of God's creative nature. And then, of course, the second book God wrote is the Bible. And as you've already eloquently pointed out, um, the Bible uh, and science, when, when we're talking about the scientific method or things that have progressed according to studying what we would call the the natural phenomena in the world, hmm. they're not opposed. It's right. a lot of times the conclusions we yes. extract or draw that we try to make science a lot of times say something that it's not saying. We won't get into that because their their question is very specific. So when it comes down to, um, you know, is Genesis particularly probably what they're referring to is Genesis 1 through 3, more specifically, is it literal or is it metaphorical or is it, you know, uh, allegorical or, you know, you fill in the blank. We believe that it's literal. Now, what we mean by that is we approach it literally in accordance with the best hermeneutical skills, the best skills of interpretation, in accordance with what I would say, modern science. We're, 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 you know, we're drawing both. We're looking at the scientific world and we're looking at the biblical world and, and trying to go, okay, how, how do these work in conjunction? Now that said and done, it usually invariably, when you're talking about Genesis one, you, you go, okay, what are 
the four or five major interpretations of of this. And I'm just going to briefly give them, and then sure. we then we could then we could um, drill down a little bit deeper. The first is what what many call you know the 24 hour day period. So on you know God created the earth on day one you know, or heavens and earth, and, you know, day two, it's a 24-hour period. So that would be a a a, a 24-hour period time, so a literal six days God created. Second theory is what they call the gap theory, and that is that God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1, and then there's a gap. There's this mysterious thing where God then goes and creates the spiritual world and all of these other right. things. And, and, and so, and then it comes back to, to Genesis one, two, obviously there's, there's difficulties with that. You, you know, <laughs> you really have to do some, some connecting the dots and such. But then the third is what we call the day age theory. And that is that Genesis is one is not talking about six 24 literal days, but those days equal undetermined amount of time. So thousands of years. And it's cross-referenced in Job and Peter and others where right. they would say, hey, a day's like a thousand years in the Lord's eyes. So why couldn't these be undeterminate periods of time? And then the fourth um, theory is what we would call theistic evolution, that God used the evolutionary process to create the world. A fifth theory is what the, you know, there's different names. It's fiat. It's, it's, um, it's a confluence theory. Um, it's or, or what others would say, a, a point of view theory, that when we're reading Genesis 1, you're reading it as God's vantage point. God's telling Moses or inspiring Moses to write this from what God did. Moses, looking back, or humanity now looking back in time, understands that God did this, but over time, time stretches and so on and so forth. Over time, it has become uh, a longer period of time. Hmm. So it takes into account um, the, the movement of the universe from that what we'd call Big Bang or Fiat moment. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of Jewish scholars and, and, and some Christian scholars who are, who are adhering to that. And there is actually some fascinating research that shows that, yeah, Genesis uh, 1 is, is, yeah, God created six days. That's God telling how he did it. But as we look back into space-time, we're, we're measuring it as millions of years. So those are your large five now there are sub themes there are variations there's there's you know i'll borrow a little from there i'll take a little bit from here but i think in the the modern world if you will those are like the five major themes you know a literal 24-hour day period right a gap theory the day age theory theistic evolution and then a fiat or perspective theory, you know, from whose perspective are they telling um, Genesis right. one Is from? Time immersed yeah. perspective or a timeless perspective. What's interesting to specifically answer the question again is that at least in the first three theories, they're 
what we would call literalist interpretations. They use just a different hermeneutic right. in approaching the text. So the 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 24-hour day, they're saying it's literally 24-hour days, six days. The gap theory goes, no, these are literally six days. God just took a break and created other things that we just don't know about, and they'll pull from Ezekiel and other you know passages of that from Isaiah and, and what have you. But then he gets back to, you know, the, but those are real six days. Then the day-age theory are saying, no, you, you know, these are literal six days in accordance with how God sees days, not how humans see days. And most biblical scholars try to remind us that you have to understand it as a Hebrew work. This is, this is a, a work that was written for a particular audience, that how they would have understand it. So the context of how the Hebrews of old would have understood this is very important to bring to the table. So they said it does no good for us 21st century people to be saying this is what they meant. They say you really got to get back and understand how they interpreted this or understood it, um, you know, in the day and age in which Moses was, mm. was penning it. So all that to say, the first three would have a literal perspective just with a different hermeneutic. The fourth one um, is a little bit more prog- problematic because what it does is it, it, it tends to allegorize Genesis 1 because they're saying, well, science, a.k.a. you know what you described as this, this broader worldview, you know, a lot of you, well, science is telling us, you know, that's a very vague and huge term. But they'll say science is telling us evolution. Right. Is 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 how it created. And because science is telling us that, we have to now align the Bible with that. So right. I would say of the four, it is it, that would be the only one that would tend to, to view it more allegorically or non-literal. And then the fifth one, I the perspective or fiat one that I, I mentioned does take a literalist view, but it, it gets into a lot more, let's just say, in-depth science to uh, describe what's happening. Again, God's telling you I did this, but then from man's perspective, looking back towards the moment of this fiat event, the creation, Big Bang, whatever you want to call it, you understand the science of what's happening in the universe. So again, there's a lot of information out there right. on this. And Luke, as you know, as most Christians who've been around the block know, very heated. People get heated on both sides. The, usually what I try to do to be a peacemaker in the middle of all this is I would say, you know, this is a very important topic, like any biblical topic. You know, truth is important, and we want to discover the truth to the best of our ability. But we have to be humble when we approach things like this. We have to be able to say, huh, that's interesting. I'm going to ponder that. I'm going to chew on that. I'm going to see how it weighs in with the totality of what Scripture's taking, you know, the totality of history. You know, when I did the radio with Chuck for many years, and we got this question a lot, we got, you know, this a lot. And Chuck, for many years, believed in the gap theory. So Chuck, Chuck adhered to the gap theory. You know that. So he believed in an ancient. It came from like the old Schofield Commentary Bible. Right. I think he was a supporter. Right. Of that. Yeah. And so, so Chuck, Chuck adhered to an old Earth. You know that that God created the initial stuff, and then went and did other things, and then finally came back, and so so on and so forth. But Chuck was, you know, even though he believed that in his early ministry, 
when, when the question was asked, and I always liked it, he said, you know, as I've, and I'm paraphrasing here, but as, as I've get, gotten more information, I've put them in a file in, in my brain and I chew on them and I see how they play out. And then I go back and, and essentially continue learning about this, this very subject. And so I think Chuck, you know, I don't know how much he changed his opinion, but I think he was open. And again, you know, Chuck's just one person among many hundreds and thousands of commentators. Right. And as you know, many people have very, very strong opinions. So the literal 24-hour day guys, a lot of times won't talk to the day age guys. And neither of them will talk to the gap theory guys. And <laughs> no way will we even consider. We don't, we're not even sure that the evolutionary theistic evolution, we're not even sure they're Christians. So there's a lot of <laughs> mudslinging. There's a lot of infighting. That's why I always temper this. And the, this like kind of last uh, subject, you know, with the evolution, I, I mean, um, free will versus predestination, there's, there's got to be a dose of humility that we, we bring to the table when we're discussing this. So I've given the big picture. Now, Luke, you jump in and you, you give your input. Uh, I love how you laid those out. I think that there's a very clear differentiation because even as you stated, the common thread that ties most of them together is the literalist view. Mm-hmm where there's some foundational facet of literalism that's in there. Mm-hmm. And I think absolutely on point about the fact that people typically get very heated about this. But one of the things that I, I was thinking about is anytime I'm asked a question, I always think about, well, what's sort of the generating curve for mm-hmm. this question? And mm-hmm. I think you pointed out, you alluded to that at the very beginning of your address, where you mentioned that this is pertinent. And I think there is a lot of pressure from a lot of different directions to make this something other than literal. Mm -hmm. And not everyone who has questions about it is necessarily aware that the reason why they're having questions is because there is some, some information feed in their life that is sort of navigating them in this direction. Right, right. And one of the things that I've always thought about this is if you start with the literal interpretation, if someone just reads the first chapter of Genesis the first time and the second chapter, third chapter, with the understanding that the Bible is the Word of God, it would be very difficult to conclude many of the things that we see in the gap, in the theistic Etc. So I believe that many of those views, even though they may be justifiable from if so, someone accepts certain premises, are more difficult to establish from strictly a biblical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like if all you use is scripture. Um, and to bring that back down to, you know, is it is it a literal interpretation? You know, is it the six days? Are they all in a row? Right. Um, you know, and maybe even extending, because we didn't get quite enough information from that question, but maybe even extending to the fall. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far into those weeds because that's a whole other thing. We mm-hmm. we might have to do a part two to this particular yeah. podcast to talk about, well, what does it mean when man fell? Mm-hmm. How, was that literal? Because that's foundational to many theological mm-hmm. constructs also indicative of very particular hermeneutics 
about how people approach that, whether it's a Wesleyan standpoint, whether it's a more reformed standpoint, mm -hmm. whether it's um, a Catholic standpoint, you have multiple views there. Mm -hmm. So, but um, when we're talking about creation before the fall, I would say I, I have to land much closer to the beginning of, of that. I, and I believe the college teaches a little broadly on this, but we land on six literal days mm -hmm. without a gap. We land on six literal days of 24 hours each. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to, to talk a little bit more. I don't know how much time we have yeah. left here about why— well, what are some of the objections to each of these views? Yes, yeah. and there's both biblical and scientific yes. objections. There really are. And believe me, I taught science. I taught science, you know, in junior high and high school. I know the, you know, the, I don't know every objection, but I know a lot of the objections, pro and, you know, con for each of the views. I've read it. I've extensively went to seminars. I've listened to different viewpoints. And I think... You know, like any good educator, anyone who's who's interested in these, we should inform ourselves. So what what I would tell our 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 audience is, you know, go out and inform yourself. You know, in just the top of my head, um, I fall when people ask me, well, where do you fall into this category? I always say, well, I distinctly fall within the intelligent design community, mm -hmm. and I. You know, that there was an intelligence, there was AKA God who created the universe because right. it, it answers so many questions that, that materialistic scientific, you know, mindset leaves out. Like, you know, how did nothing create something? Right. A biogenesis. Yeah. Where how, did how, how did non-life life? create life? <laughs> how did, um, you know, just general life create personality? All of these questions, only a personal living God answers it logically and, right. and rightfully. Because invariably what you have, Luke, and you know this, is when people start trying to bring God out of the creative, you know, fiat, this this moment of creation, it 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 leads to more questions that are that are answerable. And then they right. think then they think they have all the well the you know, universe is self-creating. It just goes back ad infinitum, you know, of right. like you're you're not answering the question. You're just you're just extending it. So the bottom question is that I always ask people who, let's say, stand on a very atheistic thing. So explain to me how nothing created something, right? And then they, well, yeah, at the beginning, you know, there there was there was these laws of physics, and I go, no, no, no. okay, so that's something, mm -hmm. that's something metaphysical, but it's still something. So tell me how nothing created something. Yeah, okay. Well, then, then, they, well, there was there was these, you know, molecular. Okay, that's something. So tell me how nothing created something. And they can't. Right. They can't because we all know nothing, zero, zilch, nothing doesn't create something. And so this idea that the universe has always been doesn't make sense because the universe is made up of matter. And just to build on that particularly, and it's hilarious in some cases where people who are very respected within the scientific community will nonetheless equate the idea of, some people call it, Abiogenesis, I call it a biogenesis. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the pronunciation, you know, on the wrong syllable is, <laughs> is a problem. But they've equated it specifically with spontaneous generation, mm -hmm. which was disproven. Yeah. And, and so, it, you know, to your point, 
something from nothing to the best of our ability with the scientific method is not possible. And then there were the the Miller-Urey experiments in the 50s, which were, oh, we formed this, you know, complex uh, structure after having passed electrical currents through a mixture in a test tube, Mm -hmm. right? And we we were able to to form a couple of uh, building blocks, as they called it, out of the 200 or so that are necessary. And it was shown as this great triumph for science. Then later on, it was. Yeah. overturned later because not only was it corrupted because of the materials that they mm-hmm. were using, but they've tried to generate it in the time since. They've repeated the experiments and actually came up with even fewer right. than what they did in the right. 50s because and, of that. And it was a controlled environment, whereas the universe right. is not a controlled environment, right. according, op- to, uh, according to evolutionists. Exactly. You know, So there's a lot of problems with that. Yeah. And, and so you know, for me, I land in the intelligent design community. And what I like about the intelligent design community is that these are trained scientists and I let the professionals lead. So I would Mm. go to like a Stephen Myers and go, you are a Cambridge trained scientist, you know, who has studied this in depth. So let me read the signature in the cell. If I want to know about mathematics and intelligent design, I'll turn to William Dembski and say, I want to know how this, this pairs out. And these are brilliant minds you know uh, uh, that are out there and, and so what i would say is for our 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 listening audience is go and educate yourself you know each of these schools have a school of thought but here's the the, the trick i think luke is you can't just stop with one you really have yes. to understand each of them and then you could begin a process of elimination discounting and and so on and so forth. but for a literal you know 10,000 year old earth seven day you know type mindset Someone like Henry Morris, right? who I met, went to a conference you know, before he died. Lovely human being. He, he's, he's amazing. But, but you know, go, go to his. For someone like a gap theory, like you said, the old Schofield guys were, were right. the guys to, that, that did that. And they, it wasn't so much about the science as it was about you know, interpreting other portions of the Bible, you know, uh, uh, inserting those. For like a day-age guy, Hugh Ross is probably the the most prominent, popular guy right. out there. Astrophysicist, uh, I believe, the University of Toronto astrophysicist. Um, uh, uh, someone who is within the evolutionary, uh, you know, theistic evolution. That would be, you know, he's in the news all the time, and you know, very, very popular because he was in charge of the human genome project, you know, uh, and is incredibly well-known science. Now he's working with Fauci and others, you know, on the, the, the uh, you know, understanding these viruses and DNA, but that's Francis Collins. And he wrote mm-hmm. a book called The Language of God, where he, you know, he tries to reconcile, you know, the Bible and he's an evangelical believer and he's reconciling the Bible with evolution. Now, the fifth view of this convergence view or fiat view or perspective view, um, the, the main scientist for that is uh, he's Jewish. He's not Christian. And his name is Dr. Gerald Schroeder. And he's written multiple books about this topic, The Science of God, uh, Hidden Face of God, uh, uh, Genesis in the Big Bang, multiple books. And a lot of Christians have, have caught on to what this Jewish biblical scholar and scientist has done. And they've, they've really started to champion his work. So it's, it's Gerald, G-E-R-A-L-D, Schroeder, 
like, you know, the piano player from the Peanuts, S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R, I believe. Mm. But but these, the, you know, and again, and I know not everyone has time to to unpack and study and read and so on and so forth. There are helpful um, online things that juxtaposition. See, I threw it in there for you, Luke, of the different views. But I think, <laughs> I think to answer the question, we, we at Calvary College would approach it literally. There would be a humble hermeneutic involved that, you know, some people may be a young earth, other people may be an old earth, someone may be somewhere in between, but we take scripture very seriously and we do our best to interpret it, um, you know, within the historical grammatical context. However, I think, you know, in Calvary's generally, um, you know, following Chuck's lead, that, you know, there's a humility about it. You know, we, we don't have all the answers for this yet. And so we are, we're doing the best we can with the tools that are before us. Um, we're one ear to God's first book, Nature, you know, Creation, right. Genesis 1.1. But we're using God's second book, the Bible, to try to help us expand. And we always always have to point out, Luke, that the Bible's not a science textbook. Correct. You know, it's not meant to be, you know, a book on biology or a book on physics or a book on. So we could only glean principles um, from it, but invariably we have to allow both books to speak. You know, we can't discount science and obviously we can't discount the Bible. We have to listen to what both say and do our best to to try to interpret them properly. No, I, th- I think very well said, and I, I think that there's no harm in pursuing the truth at any right. point. There's another book I want to throw in there that I recently read that rather than being an expert in the fields of science, this gentleman, I believe, went to Cambridge as a journalist. Hmm. And he wrote a book that's been very recently published, uh, Darwin's House of Cards, mm. A Journalist's Odyssey Through Darwin Debates. Mm. And what he does really well in that book is he examines all of the things, and not necessarily coming from an evangelical Christian point of right. view, but he just goes through and he begins to look at um, the scientific community's claims about the theory of evolution, and he lands in the intelligent design right. area without really seeming to do so. But it's an excellent discussion of multiple experts. His his discussion of individuals and their influence in the field from Darwin all the way through now and the people who were in that discipline who have changed their course. He talks about how the, the discovery of the Big Bang and its verification affected the scientific yeah, community. Quite, and it did. And, uh, I mean, just excellent survey. You could not, you you would be hard-pressed, I think, to do better than getting a survey, in getting a survey, than reading that particular book. And, and great journalists Tom do. Tom Bethel. Tom Bethel. I'm definitely, thank you for that, because I hadn't heard of that. And I love when journalists approach it because they're generally, they're trying to approach it objectively and so on and so forth. Lee Strobel did the same thing right. you know, with Case for Christ and Case for Faith and so on and so forth. So I, I, I love it. And, and, and journalists usually bend over backwards to try to make things readable and easy to understand. Yes. And a lot of people have difficulty approaching the sciences because it's just whoosh, over, over our head. I, I don't want to do it. So thank you for that. I know we're out of time, but boy, that's a great question. And as you said, Luke, 
we could have a follow-up program and then another follow-up. <laughs> it's such a heavy, deep question with so many tentacles and ramifications. But hopefully with the resources and you know the answer we gave, it will at least get our, our listening audience some info. Absolutely. And I definitely appreciate all the references that you shared. Folks, if you don't remember them off the top of your head or you weren't taking notes, that's the cool thing about it being a podcast. You can rewind, get those authors' names that Brian listed, the one that I gave as well. And if you really want to dig into it, you now have some heavy-duty resources to get you started opening those different venues of inquiry. So thanks again for listening. This is Squawk. My name's Luke Betzner. I've been speaking with Dr. Brian Nixon. And if you have any additional questions that you want to send us, don't hesitate to email us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And once again, thank you for listening.